All right, Isaiah chapter 50. This is the third servant song. So in the book of Isaiah, there is four servant songs, okay? And they're in the second half of the book of Isaiah from 40 uh, on, okay? There's these four songs that are called servant songs. And, um, and so they all point to the servant that would come and give aid to Israel. And probably the people of Israel had no idea that it was a reference to the Messiah. First of all, because they didn't see the Messiah as taking this role of being a servant and humbling themselves and even suffering. That just was not in their picture of the Messiah. And so that's why a lot of them um, missed that when Jesus came as a baby, as He came to live amongst us in humility, it did not cross their radar that, hey, this might be Jesus the Messiah because they were expecting a king, right? That would come, be born into royalty, that would deliver them. And so a lot of them missed it, right? And so uh, looking back now, we say, oh yeah, that was a reference to Jesus, right? It's kind of like, duh, right? But for for them, they missed it, all right? Um, and it wasn't uh, as maybe clear to them as it is to us. So we, we've covered Isaiah 42. Um, that was the merciful king. So the series is the servant king, but uh, 42, we looked at the merciful king. Uh, Isaiah 49, we looked at the missional king, how he came to both the Jews and the Gentiles to restore Israel from captivity, but also to then... Um, reach the Gentiles. He'd be a light to the Gentiles. So both chapter 42 and 49 talk about a reference that the servant king would be a light to the Gentiles. And then in chapter 50 here, we're going to look at the relational king. The fourth one we are saving for Christmas Eve, and so we're going to call that the redemptive king. That's looking at Isaiah 52 and 53, probably the one servant song that we are the most familiar with and that gets read a lot. All right? And I'll reference that just briefly this morning. So, um, these are the servant songs, but they are vivid prophetic words written by Isaiah hundreds of years before Christ would walk the earth. And they detail who Christ would be, what he would be like, and what he would be born into, what he, characteristics of how he would leave, at, lead and serve us. So, uh, some great things that are there. Isaiah is called the gospel of the New Testament for that reason, uh, just because it it includes so much of what we see in the Gospels, except it was written before Christ even walked the earth or was born in a manger. Amen? Amen. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 50. We're going to start with verses 4 through 5 and go through verse 11. Um, but before we do, let's just pray and bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the living word of God that speaks into our life. Lord God, it's able to change, to transform uh, to guide, to correct us, Lord God, when we need it, Lord. It's able to lead us into truth. And so, Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come uh, to fill this place and to open up our eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to your church. We give you the thanks. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 50, starting with verse 4 uh, through 5. It says, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. All right. So that's just a reference that he, the servant has had the father's ear. And he's, he's speaking not in foolish terms or his own mind. He is speaking 
what the Father has poured into him and that he's heard from the Father. All right? And it says, a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. All right? And he wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. So it isn't just a one-time message that the servant is getting from the Father. It is, it's a daily thing, right? Morning by morning, um, he knows the Father's voice and what the Father desires. Verse 5, the Sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious, and I have not turned away. You know, this describes the ministry of Jesus so vividly, doesn't it? Um, that Jesus would not come to earth and speak his own mind and just what he wanted to do, but he did what he heard from the Father. And I'm just going to reference some verses uh, in the New Testament that um, fulfill what Isaiah is talking about here. John 5:19 says, uh, Jesus would give them the answer, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He only does, he only can do what he sees his Father doing, right? Because the Father, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Um, and so Jesus is saying, hey, I don't act alone. I act as I see the Father and what He does, what I hear from Him. John eight thirty eight. I am telling you what I have seen in my Father's presence. All right, so as He's teaching, there again, He's not teaching His own. He goes, I'm sharing what I have heard in my Father's presence. Isn't that just so, dovetails so perfectly with what Isaiah has written there? And um, you are doing what I have heard from my your father. Oh, yeah, and then he goes, but you are doing what you've heard from your father. So he's talking to the religious leaders and how they are out of step. They're doing their own thing, but he is doing what he has heard from his father. All right? Matthew four twenty three, Jesus went through the Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew 9, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And he had compassion on the crowds, right? And he helped them because he saw they were harassed and helpless. Verse 38 says, and the, he goes, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know, I've just had some discussions this past week and just in America, but even in Nebraska, we're feeling it that, Hey, the ministry is out there, but the labors are few. And so the church um, has probably had times of this throughout history, but we are at one of those moments where we really need God to raise up people that are willing to go and to share the good news and to uh, pastor communities and, and churches and reach people. Mark one twenty two, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. So that's just a very powerful word there that Mark writes that Jesus, the teaching of Jesus was different from the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And when he taught, it was one of authority. They heard him and there was some weight to it. There was something there that was not there with the other religious leaders. So there was life, there was energy. It pierced their heart and their soul. Are you following that? One who had authority. Jesus was a living word of God. So the passage that Christy read in John chapter 1 talks about the word became flesh. So John is kind of philosophical, very theological here. He doesn't say, hey, a baby was born into a manger like Luke does and records that. All right, so Luke is the doctor. But John is more of that Greek influence and he says, you know what? The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. 
He was the living Word of God, is what John is saying. Is so He came in the flesh, but as the embodiment of the Word of God, when we saw Him, we saw the words on these pages. Does that make sense? He was the living Word of God before us. He came in the flesh, communicated the heart of God and His Word to us. He connected with us like no one else before or after Him. And because of this, so the first point there, I guess I skipped over that, but that the servant king would come and he would speak our language, right? He would speak our language, words that we can understand. Now, Victor could talk to me in Spanish, and I've been around Spanish enough that I could maybe make out a few words here and there, right? Okay. Um, But you could even go into maybe a classroom, and, you know, you have a brainiac there, and, and they're sharing, and you know, maybe a doctor's office. You ever had gone into the doctor and they say, yeah, you have this. And it's kind of like, okay, put that in human terms, right? All right. Our middle son, Mark, likes to do that to us. He likes to use some of those words, right? Um, and, and so we can even sometimes hear stuff in English, but it's not in our words that we can understand. But Jesus was able to communicate not just to the educated. He was able to communicate to the people that were lost, that... You know, the demon-possessed, the ones that needed healing and compassion. Um, A lot of them probably were not well-educated. Some were. But he was able to connect with them in words that they could understand and so that they could believe and find truth. So it's just some examples. So you have the woman at the well, you know, a woman that had some faith there. But she was lost. She, her, her home life was a wreck, right? She'd been married several times. The person she's with isn't her husband. And yet God is able to connect with her in such a way that her life is transformed. And then she tells her, her community about it. And many come to know Christ. He reaches the woman at the well, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he had money, right? He had money. He had money. He had other people's money, but he had money, right? All right? Not always honestly. But he still was searching, right? So he climbs up that tree because he wants to hear what Jesus has to say. There was something that money could not buy or fulfill. There was a hole in his heart, and he says, I want to know more. And Jesus reached out to him and went to his place, has a meal, and by the time that meal is done, Zacchaeus says, hey, I'm giving back all the money I took wrongfully. I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. Wow. That's pretty significant transformation i've never had that happen to any anybody when i visited their house (laughs) that's some good transformation right he was able to speak their language and connect with them there's nicodemus nicodemus was educated he was a religious leader people looked at him and thought he knew it all and yet he came to jesus in the middle of the night says i don't i'm searching i want to know the truth what does it mean to be born again And Jesus explained it to him. And you know what? Jesus was able to connect with him because Nicodemus would be one of the people that would prepare the tomb for the burial of Jesus and would become a follower. Jesus, the servant king, came as the living word of God. He spoke the truth in a language that we could understand and grasp. Amen? Verses 6 through 9. Let's look at those. It says, Therefore I offered my back to those who would beat me. Okay, there again, there again, we know that as part of Jesus' crucifixion. He would be flogged, right? My cheeks, they would pull my beard out. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. 
That's all included in the Gospels. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. Okay? A man on the mission. And we know that when he went to see the woman at the well, it said that he was, um, he was resolved. He was determined to go through Samaria. Okay? Because they usually went around. He was resolved to go there. And I know that I will not be put to shame. So the second thing that we see is the servant king would be familiar with suffering. Suffering that people and human beings uh, face. And so these verses are vivid descriptions of what Jesus would endure going to the cross. Isaiah 53, which is the fourth servant, servant song that we'll hit on Christmas Eve, said that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. But that describes suffering. That's why the Jewish people initially did not recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, is because they didn't see Him a king that would have to suffer. But see, Jesus suffered, and He partook in our suffering to relate to us. You know, John 19, 1 through 3 says that Pilate, after he was done with Jesus, took Jesus and had him flogged. All right, so it was this whip that had glass and particles in it, and they would, you know, it would hit your back, it would tear, um, tear the flesh away from a person's back. They could whip him 39 times, they couldn't go 40, okay, because most times people can endure that, and sometimes they can even take that. You know, the passion of the Christ. If you've seen the passion, passion of the Christ, it, it maybe overdoes the suffering maybe a little bit, but it really, Mel Gibson really wanted to bring that out, right, when he did the passion of the Christ. It's hard to watch. They twisted, um, the, the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and then they put the purple robe, and then they yanked it off. Um, they slapped him in the face. They did those things. They spit on them. Um, one of the other Gospels says, so that it fulfills what was written in the book of Isaiah. But why did all this happen? Hebrews says in Hebrews uh, 5, 7 through 10 says, During the days of Jesus on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And the son, though he was, he learned obedience by what he suffered. And once he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. And God made him a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. So Jesus isn't giving us the gift of eternal life and the resurrection saying, yeah, it's going to happen, but he went through it himself, did he not? And it gives us the hope that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we also have that hope as well. For surely it is not angels he helps, verse 16, but Abraham's descendants. You know, angels are pretty cool. They're part of the Christmas story, are they not? Right? They're powerful, but they will not inherit salvation. They are there to minister to us. And it is God, He's helping us. And they help us as well. Verse 17, For this reason He was made to be like them, fully human in every way, in order that He might become a merciful 
talked about that first week, and faithful high priest in service to God, and make atonement for the sins of the people to, to satisfy the punishment that was with us, our debt, when he was tempted. And he's able to be um, to help those that are being tempted, right? Because he suffered with us, and he endured our suffering. He gets it. Um, he became flesh, lived amongst us, partook of our pain and our suffering, so he's able to understand us. So there is going to be some commercials coming out uh, after the first of the year, and maybe you've seen some already. It's called He Gets Us. Have you, ever, have you seen any of those aired yet? So I think they're going to be starting maybe Super Bowl, maybe a little bit before the Super Bowl, but they're going to be commercials. They are going to happen during the Super Bowl. It's called He Gets Us. So this talks about, it doesn't, it kind of just leads you on a little bit that He gets us, He gets us through pain, suffering in our lives, and then it ultimately points to Christ, that he is the one that gets us. And uh, so it is a com- campaign. Uh, these ads, these commercials are going to be aired. And then the churches can be part of that. And they'll, if people respond, they'll point them to churches in that area. So we're hoping to be part of that. The Assemblies of God is hoping to be part of that. But the message is that God understands us. And sometimes we get in the middle of life and we... And life happens, and we think God doesn't understand. But He does. Probably more than we realize. He understands our weakness. He understands the pain. He understands the suffering. Uh, He does get us. Number three, verses 10 and 11. I don't think I've ever spoke on this part before. I've spoken on that. Um, But it's a fascinating couple verses here. Who among... You fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now all who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your own fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you will receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. So the third principle there is the servant king seeks those who will trust in him. So in these last two verses, you see two types of people. They're different people, all right? The first group of people, um, there is darkness there, all right? There's darkness there, but they obey and they trust God, all right? They trust in the name of the Lord, and as they do, God has promised to light their way, right? So that ties in with with, uh, Psalms that says, the Lord is my light, my path, right? He is my salvation. Jesus said that he would be the light of the world. I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but he said, I will be the light of the world, right? So this first group of people are those that trust in God and they, uh, they rely on God to light their way, to lead them into truth, right? And to provide their way, to trust him. They see the darkness, but they trust God to light the way. The disciples did this. They didn't understand what was going to happen next, right? But they trusted God, and God provided for them. It went before them. The early church did that as well. And people still today, we live and we walk by faith, trusting in God. We don't always know what tomorrow holds, right? But God does. And we trust Him, and we rely upon His Word as light to our path to guide our way. Now, the other group of people are those 
they see the darkness as well, but they think, you know what, we are gonna, we're going to make our own fire and we're going to have our own torches and we're going to figure our own way out because we know best and we're going to light our path. Isn't that what it says? You're gonna make, they're going to make their flaming torches and they're going to walk in the light of their own fire. You know, and I, as I read that, it's, it's very obvious that they're walking in their own knowledge and the wisdom. And in our world today, that is very evident. Sometimes our culture and our world says, you know what, we know what is best. We know what is best, how, how we should live our life. We, this is outdated, right? And we sh- it no longer applies. We're going to walk in our own wisdom and our own light. We see that in so many issues if you turn on the news or read the paper, right? But God says, you know what, those that walk in their own light are going to come to torment and a demise an eternity far apart from God. Um, but those that walk in the light of God's word will have the gift of eternal life. I, um, whether it's the media we watch, you know, it's really hard to sometimes turn on a show nowadays that you don't find something that contradicts the word of God. Whether it's what God has to say about marriage whether it's God has what he has to say just about values in life, about possessions. Um, it's pretty hard to find. And sometimes we will give ourselves to how many hours watching TV or reading or things on our phone, on Facebook, right? And we utilize Facebook, right? We utilize it. But even there, if you were, to, you can actually log your time on there, right? how much time you're spending on your device. And, um, you know, Facebook, it, can, it creates a lot of discontentment, folks, if you're on there too much. Man, they're doing this, they're doing that, they have this, they have that, right? And we get discontent. We forget to be thankful for the things that God has given us, right? Um, so there's that tension there. And God says we are to walk in His light, to trust Him, and to walk in His way. I'm going to have the musicians come. and I don't know if somebody needs to get Amy there. I should have given you a little bit more warning there. When we think of a king, we may think of someone on a pedestal that is out of reach, that is unaware of our needs or cares. Right? Just think if you were to try and schedule a meeting with our president. Okay, Right now that would be Joe Biden. Go in and Say, hey, you can't just call up on the cell phone and say, hey, Denise, I'm coming over, right? You can't do that, right? It's kind of like, you may never get in, right? But Jesus, the servant king, came in such humble fashion. He lived amongst us. He was touchable. He was knowable. He mingled with people. He went into their homes. He sat at a table with them right? Um, He connected with them like nobody else has. So many relational aspects. And I think in this passage in Isaiah, we see the relationship part of that God wants more than just to give us salvation. He wants to be in relationship with you. The goal of salvation is that He removes sin so that we can have fellowship with God. When sin is part of that picture, it separates us from God, right? And so that's why God says, hey, I need to deal with sin. And so that's why He sent His Son to the cross to deal with our sins so that we could have fellowship with Him. 
Amen? Isaiah foretold these relational aspects of the servant king. and The Gospels record how Jesus lived amongst us, full of grace and truth, so that we can know God and spend eternity with Him in heaven. God did His best. He sent prophets. He sent kings. He sent judges to prepare the way and to share the truth. But ultimately, God says, you know what? I'm going to send my own one and only son. They've ignored my prophets. They've ignored others that I've sent before. But I'm going to send my son. So human beings are without excuse, right? We're without excuse. God gave his best to us uh, so that we could have the hope of heaven and know God as our Lord and our Savior. Would you stand this morning? And I'm going to give an opportunity if you don't know Christ as your Lord and your Savior this morning. Um, we had several last week that rededicated their life and uh, prayed with us. I ask you all to pray, but um, um, we had several that said, you know what, I rededicated my life, and so that's good, right? Um, so I'm going to invite us. I don't know who's watching. I don't know who's here today, maybe you're not in the place you should be with God. You're walking in your own light, your own strength. You think you know better, but it doesn't take very long to realize, you know what, our plans don't always turn out the way we thought they would. And then we cry out to God, right? The sooner in life we can, we can turn to God and follow His ways, the better off we are. And so... Um, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation this morning. If you need to rededicate your life, pray that. I'm going to ask us all to pray together. Or maybe it's the first time. I don't know. Um, but would you pray with me today? Let's pray together. Say, dear God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of trying to do things my own way. Come into my heart and come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God with every eye closed. But if you prayed that, rededicated, or you just meant it for that first time, would you just get my attention this morning? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Father, I just ask your blessing upon your people this morning. Lord, we live in an age where the truth and the light that you've given us is constantly being challenged by the media that we watch, the people that we rub shoulders with, the philosophies of this world. Lord God, it's, it's constantly being challenged. Help us to walk in the light of your truth. And thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the light of the world, to show us the way to the Father, to know him, to walk in relationship with him and to forgive us of our sins, and to be our gift of salvation. We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name.